month was kind of a beat down. Oh, yeah. I swore I would never pee on a stick <laughs> ever, ever again. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. I'm excited to introduce my guests, Drs. Lori Teller and Nancy Turner. Sound familiar? They've appeared on the podcast together three times. They've discussed how they redefine success in veterinary medicine, the rapid gender shift in the profession, and female leadership in veterinary medicine. Dr. Lori Teller is a past president of TVMA and works at Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine as the clinical associate professor of telehealth. Dr. Nancy Turner works for ReadyVet, an in-home healthcare provider. Today on the show, we discuss some deeply personal topics, infertility, pregnancy, postpartum depression, adoption, and maternity leave. I'd like to give you some context on two of these matters. First, infertility. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, about 12% of women aged 15 to 44 years old in the U.S. experience difficulty getting pregnant or carrying a pregnancy to term. Now, it is often thought of as only a woman's condition, but the truth is both men and women can contribute to infertility. In about 35% of couples with infertility, a male factor is identified along with the female factor. We also discuss postpartum depression, which is depression following the birth of a baby. About one in eight women in the U.S. experience symptoms of postpartum depression, according to the CDC. Fortunately, most people improve with treatment. Before we hear from Dr. Teller and Dr. Turner, I wanted to let you know that this interview took place in the fall of 2019. This meant we were in person, sitting right next to each other at a long table in a conference room at the Southwest Veterinary Symposium in San Antonio. What a different time. So I thought I'd first learn when they knew they wanted to start their own respective families. Dr. Turner starts us off. So the only thing I ever knew when I was growing up that was that I was going to be a veterinarian. Okay. I had no concept of being a mom. It just did not enter into my head really at all until after vet school and after I met my husband. I think I, I always knew that I might have kids, but I didn't know if it was going to be, you know, adoption or because I was older, you know, as you get older, you start to realize, well, maybe I will need to adopt at a certain point or, um, but yeah, it was not until Kyle and I had probably been married for two or three, two or three years before we decided, okay, this is probably a good idea. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a while. I did not grow up dreaming of being a mom, birthing small things. Yeah. Uh, so I, along with my dream of being a veterinarian since the age of five, I, I had the whole, the white picket fence dream, right? You're going to have the house with the white picket fence and be married and have two kids and what have you. And so I, that's just always how I pictured it growing up. And even to the point where my three best friends, we've been friends since first grade. So we even had it planned out that three of us were going to be working women, working professionals, and the one 
of us who really was not interested in that was going to take care of all of our kids uh, until they went to school. Really that, I mean, our, our dream was like <laughs> nailed down yeah. specifics. Um, but of course, you know, dreams when you have as a young kid are not usually what happens uh, as you get older. Uh, but that, that was my dream. So after I graduated, after my husband and I both graduated from school, so me from veterinary school and my husband from medical school, while he was uh, in his internship early residency is when we decided we were gonna start trying to have a family. So mid-20s is when we were giving it lots of thought, I would say. Uh, we knew there were going to be some fertility problems going into it, uh, so we were prepared for that to happen. And I think that was one of the reasons why we started so soon. We had already been, we'd gotten married while we were in school, mm -hmm. so it wasn't like we just got married and said we're going to start a family. Um, but we had, we had gotten married and been in our careers for a couple of years when we started going down that path. Yeah, Kyle and I didn't get married till we were thirty. Um, so it was, you know, we were already both in that frame of mind of, well, we're not going to rush into this, but we are also a little bit on a timetable here because, yeah. you know, you're not getting any younger, as they like to say. And yeah. um, I, we never, I, it never crossed my mind that we would have right. fertility I issues. I mean, it doesn't cross most people's yeah. minds. And so I think that when it started to happen, that we were running into that, mm -hmm. I mean, it really was a shock to me and really messed with my head a little bit um, because being a veterinarian and that personality type where you just decide you're going to do something and you do it, yeah. and that's how the world works, Dina, you know? You just <laughs> yeah. wake up one day, you say, I'm going to do this, and, and you it do it. Happens. And it happens. Mm -hmm. And that's not normal, A, right. <laughs> for that to be your expectation, but um, veterinarians and, our, uh, yeah, and that's, our all, that's our expectation. That is our expectation. And it takes something like infertility for you to realize that that is a, 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 an unrealistic expectation. Not in control. You're not in control. We have lost control. Very completely. frustrating. Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, it, it does, it makes you reevaluate where you're, uh, self-worth and, and right. value is coming from? Is it coming from just the fact that you're a human being and you are worthy of self-respect and care? Or is it coming from the thought that you are uh, worth something because of your performance? Right. Whether you're that, that performance is veterinary medicine or on the sports field or being able to have a baby. I mean, that's performance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The very definition of a woman's quote-unquote performance, right? Mm -hmm. So that's really where, through counseling, I mean, I had a, I had a, ooh, it was a rough time. Because we, we tried for three years before um, Sterling was born, my first, who's now four. As I mentioned, this interview took place in 2019. So Sterling is now five years old. And it just, you know, it was just every month was kind of a beat down. Oh yeah. I swore I would never pee on a stick mm -hmm. ever, ever again. Or take <laughs> you know? your temperature every morning <laughs> before you oh, got out of God, bed. And those damn apps where it's like, oh, you're ovulating today. Like it just, yeah. it's just a really crappy time. And, but when I went to counseling, you know, I went to counseling cause I'm like, I'm having a hard time because I'm infertile. And the counselor was like, well, let's unpack that a little mm -hmm. bit. It's not really, 
your infertility, I mean, she didn't say this, mm-hmm. you know, that's not their job. Right. She led you down the path and right. it's great because counseling's amazing, but yeah. um, it's not the infertility that's the problem. It's where your, where your self-worth is coming from. Right. That's mm-hmm. the problem. And then I realized, oh my gosh, well, that's probably come, you know, some of my issues in veterinary medicine is because I've identified myself so much and my worth is so much wrapped up in my identity as a veterinarian that when there's any kind of change to that or slight to that, it really messes with my head too. Mm -hmm. So it was really good. It was a really good thing (laughs) to go through infertility. Like that's terrible. It's not, it's a terrible thing that no one should have to go through, but I did learn a lot about myself and, and how to handle things or it's it's definitely a growing experience. So we went, and I've learned that support groups are not my thing. So when Tell you start it. going uh, through the infertility thing, they're like, and you should go to this support group so you can be with people that are going through it too. Craig and I went to one, and at the first break, we're like, oh my God, we are so out of here. Why do you want to go and hear about... Anyway, yeah, it was I'm awful. It, it was... So that's not to demean support groups because they're very helpful for people, certain people, and Absolutely. they're helpful for certain problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I learned very quickly that was not the mechanism for me to deal with problems or Craig. Um, so we did not deal with infertility as long as you did. We went, we started trying, um, we did t- uh, two IVF cycles, which were horrible. Um, I have, not that this made it easier and it sounds so weird coming from a veterinarian, but I have horrible, horrible needle phobia and I pass out when I get poked with a needle. Do you really? I do. Unless I'm laying horizontal, I'm just, so you get stuck with a lot of needles when you're going through infertility. Um, So, (laughs) and they said, "What what, what if we do hypnosis? So there's a test you can do and I cannot be hypnotized. So that kind of took that off the table. Note to so, self. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, after we decided that going through IVF um, anymore was not the route to pursue, uh, we started pursuing adoption. And we went down that route. And we were very lucky. Um, we found a great agency that we knew some other people had used. And it's so much paperwork cannot tell you how if, if you're being physically invaded with needles and drugs and what have you going through infertility treatment the invasion of your personal life by everybody when you're going through adoption the exposure of your financial records your jobs your extended family um, there's a home inspection and at the time, we had a dog that was not particularly nice to strangers that I'm throwing tranquilizers down for the home inspection because I knew if he bit the person that that was it. But you couldn't not have your dogs there because they had to see the animals in the household. So your dog's like drooling really yeah. hard. So like, is he okay? There's oh, nothing really like trying her. various cocktails to find that right level of sedation to avoid there's something wrong with your dog or the dog biting the home inspection person. Yeah. So, um, but about a year after we started the process, we had a three-day-old baby placed in our home. Wow. 
And at the time we went through, now everything's open adoption, unless you're for domestic, it's all open. So um, you, you, the birth mother has picked you, you've met the birth mother, and you have all these exchanges. At, at the time, ours was a closed adoption, so we didn't even know when a child was coming. We knew nothing, um, to the point that if we wanted to take a vacation, we had to call the agency and say, we want to go on vacation from this date to this date, are we okay doing that? And they would say, yes, that's, that's fine. Um, and we'd say, do you have any idea when we're going to get a baby? And, you know, sometimes they'd be like, well, it, you know, maybe this spring or summer or whatever, but you, you never knew. So I was at work. I just got back from lunch. And this was in the day before cell phones, too. And um, got a phone call at work. Uh, right after lunch and say, well, we have your baby. Wow. Yeah. So, that's cool. It was. It was very cool. Uh, it also made it a little hard for work to know how to adjust because if I didn't know when I was getting a baby, they didn't know how to plan a maternity leave. Right. Because, yeah. you, you know, when you're pregnant, mm-hmm. they have an idea mm-hmm. unless you end up in early labor or bed rest. They can plan, okay, Nancy's going to be out from this time to this time. Um, so we can at least do working schedules and people can plan vacations around that. Yeah. I'm like, guess what? <laughs> you can cancel my appointments for the rest of the day and the next few weeks because i got a baby to go pick up. That's cool. And his name's yeah. Austin. His name is Austin. So you became pregnant, Dr. Turner. Yes. We, did, we didn't go all the way to IVF, um, mainly because I knew I just mentally couldn't, couldn't do handle it. it. Um, just the emotional roller coaster of just the standard trying to get pregnant was enough for me. I just, ugh, I just couldn't imagine so all can, the other stuff. Can you tell me about that? Like, what exactly goes into it? Because I just don't. Into IVF? Yeah. Um, so they they need to stimulate your ovaries to produce a bunch of eggs. So based on your cycle, you have to figure out your cycle and what have you, and then they start just pumping you full of hormones, um, injectable and by mouth. At least this is how it was when I was going through it. And then when you, and they're ultrasounding you and monitoring your hormone levels and what have you, and when you reach a certain point, you go in, um, that you get lightly sedated, and they use a laparoscope, and they go in and they suck all the developed eggs out of your ovaries. And then you need a semen sample, and they put those basically in a test tube and watch them grow. And once they reach a certain um, level of embryonic development and you're still pumping yourself full of hormones because now your uterus needs to be ready to take them, then they um, insert the the embryos into your uterus and then you wait to see if they'll implant. Got it. Yeah. So there's cost, a lot of cost involved. A lot of medicine involved. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Even um, to the point where the doctors are like, you should go down to Mexico and get some of these hormones because the price difference to get them in Mexico is so uh, much less expensive huh. than getting them here. It's, cra- it's crazy. It's crazy. The, the process. I mean, shout out at the time to AVMA Life Insurance because mm. at the time they covered my IVF. I don't did they know. Really? They did. Wow, I don't know great. if they still do, but because um, now, well, yeah. now they don't have it, but yeah. So it was pretty awesome from yeah. that standpoint. So we, we just um, did kind of a step down from that, which is IUI, which is intrauterine insemination or whatever. And um, I think 
we started with my OBGYN and then we moved on to a fertility specialist and that was kind of, I think, the lag time. But um, yeah, the second round of IUI with the first fertility specialist, Dr. Uh, Sam Marinick, just shout out to him. He's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always liked to talk medicine with me. He was just wanted me to, he's just a really great guy. Anyway, um, so we got pregnant with the, the second time of that um, with Sterling, um, who had a, had a great pregnancy. I'm not a very good pregnant person. Let's, yeah. That's a differentiate between mm. that. So like, what, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> well, the good pregnancy part is I wasn't very nauseous, and I didn't really get... Uh, well, actually, Kyle should answer those questions. <laughs> Let's probably be so. honest about if I was. Well, so they're, they're people energetic. that have the beautiful lush skin yeah. and the beautiful nails, and they're just glowing, and they just yeah, like, they're just good at being pregnant. pregnant. And other yeah. people are like bloated, <laughs> and everything hurts, and they're grumpy, and and I I had a really hard time with the restriction aspect like now there's not so much restriction like you can still work out and you work and blah 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 but there's also a point where you can't tie your shoes really easily and you can't get up and down the, off the floor when you're doing exams and that just really started to annoy me yeah because I was like I am a doer I'm an active person <laughs> and now I have this physical impediment to being able to do what I feel like I should be able to do as a normal human being. Yeah. And it just, you know, by the time you're that big, you're just done being pregnant. And, um, but, uh, he is wonderful. And <laughs> yeah, that his birth, uh, anyway, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> but, um, you ask me another time for that story. Cause it's a good one. But, um, but yeah, after he was born, I think, because we had tried for so long and because I was so excited about it, I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was. And I thought things were going to be more, uh, I don't want to say natural in the sense, but I just thought, you know, you've wanted this thing for so long, it's going to be magical when you actually get it. And it wasn't really magical. I mean, the first six months were pretty brutal for Kyle and I just adjusting in general. And then I had this downward shame spiral of not loving every minute of it. It was not super great. I mean, breastfeeding was fine. I just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And that provided a lot of guilt. Because people were like, oh, you're so lucky you can breastfeed. Isn't it the most amazing thing in the world? And I was thinking in my head, like, no. <laughs> I feel like a prisoner in my own house because every three two hours there's this thing attached to me. and. That added to guilt and shame, and then it just was this downward spiral of depression and anxiety about was I able to take care of this uh, baby. And um, I have a really, really good friend who's a, a nurse, and she was talking to me. And she's like, Nancy, you don't have to not like this. Right. Like you, sh- I, she's like, I totally get what you're saying but you can enjoy this. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no way I can enjoy this. And she's like, you have postpartum depression and anxiety, and that's a hormonal thing. Um, It's not something that you can just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and and get over. And I was like, yes, it is. You know, (laughs) I I appreciate that you're a medical professional, but no, I'm pretty sure I can handle this. And Finally, it was Kyle, um, my husband, who was like, go talk to your counselor. 
see what she thinks, right. and and then we'll take it from there. And I was like, fine, I'll go, but it's not a big deal. I'm going to get over it. And I talked to her, and she was like, you need to go to your OBGYN and have him prescribe you some anti-anxiety medications. Mm-hmm. And and I went and talked to him, and he was like, Nancy, you take, you have low thyroid function, don't you? And I said, yeah, I take Synthroid. What, what are you talking about? And he's like, so you have medication for your low thyroid level. This medication is helping with your low serotonin levels. That's all it is. And when he explained it to me like that, mm-hmm. I thought, well, why doesn't everyone explain it to people that way? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's less shame. Yeah. yeah it's, a, less. It's, a medi- it's a medical problem. Mm-hmm. And he was like, some, and it happens, the hormone changes in and after pregnancy, I'll, you know, shift that. And that's where that comes from. He's like, sometimes people's hormones go back to where they don't need it anymore. Sometimes people always need to be on it because that hormone shift has happened and that's always how it's going to be. But it's just low serotonin levels. It, and it doesn't mean that you're some weak, you know, uh, individual who's not grateful or thankful for their the joy of the baby in their life. But it's just, it's just a serotonin thing. And I was like, well, that's brilliant. Yes, I will take those medicines. Right. <laughs> Sign <laughs> me up by the truckload. Why am I such a big deal about it? But um, and that was a, I was huge. I distinctly remember, and this probably was, two, I mean, it was probably two or three weeks after, maybe not even that long after I started them, and I was riding in the car with my husband, and it was just like, oh, that negative static that was living in the back of my head constantly was all of a sudden gone. Wow. And I was looking out the window, like, going, oh, look. It's a beautiful day. Honestly, what's happening out there? Because before then, it was just like, I was, all, I was shut down. Yeah. yeah. And it was weird, because I'm not that person. You know. We know you're not that person. So, it was It was, it was good to have the real Nancy back. Yeah. It was, it was rough. It was ugh, yucky. So, but that was that. And so, <laughs> let's talk about maternity leave. Um, Ooh. How much time did you two have off, and um, what? Why is it important to have maternity leave? Well, I so and this is interesting because what do you do with someone who's adopted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had four weeks. I took off four weeks. Um, it probably wasn't enough, but it's what it was, and it, you don't get a doctor's note for maternity leave, mm-hmm. so you're just taking the time off. Uh, though I do want to address some of the, I don't want to say postpartum, because I wasn't pregnant, uh, but when you adopt a baby, people don't always realize the emotional oh ramifications of that as well. They're like, aren't you so happy you have a baby? You have a baby. You've been dreaming and dreaming you have a baby, and now you have a baby, and you should always be happy that you have this baby uh, without recognizing that you didn't have the nesting period mm-hmm. leading up to it, yeah. um, that now your sleep is still disrupted. And even if you're not breastfeeding, you're still responsible for feeding this child every two to four weeks. I mean, I think one of the hours, hours, hours sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you only get to eat every two to four Just weeks. Went to the crime <laughs> drama podcast. Yes, every two to four hours. Um, but some of it's also when you're a dreaming of a family in pregnancy and giving birth, you're dreaming of who that human being is going to be and that it's going to look like your husband and look like you and have your grandfather's nose and your grandmother's ears. And 
somebody's cute laugh and all those personality traits and physical traits that you expect when you have a baby and you don't get that when you adopt and so you are starting with a completely blank slate that you know nothing about and so that can be um, wonderful and sad all at the same time mm -hmm. because you know that those things aren't going to get passed down yeah. you also know that you're going to watch a beautiful human being grow up uh, but at least for listeners out there um, when they hear that a veterinarian or a friend is going to be adopting a baby or even an older child because it's still a, a complete shift in your lifestyle yeah don't say aren't you so happy you have a child why would why would you be sad despite the fact that you still only got three hours of sleep mm -hmm. and are walking around with spit up on you and haven't showered in four days mm -hmm. um, all of that still happens mm -hmm. so I want that to be out there too um, but certainly now, if I knew somebody was going to be adopting, I would recommend a longer maternity leave. Mm -hmm. um, even if you don't have the, the physical recovery process, uh, bonding can be even a little bit harder because mm -hmm. the baby hasn't been hearing your voice yeah. for the, the several months mm -hmm. of pregnancy and things mm -hmm. like that. And so just adjusting and being able to make that mental and emotional and physical shift, mm -hmm. um, I, I would certainly recommend at least a minimum of eight weeks. And if you work somewhere that allows for the full 12, go for it. Well, and that's, I mean, I just know I was not in any place to be a professional at six weeks. None. I mean, I just wasn't. Um, and I was lucky to because I had started to do relief before we got pregnant with Sterling. So I was in that relief mode already, so I didn't have to ask off for maternity leave. And um, Kyle, it, my husband, is a brilliant planner. So he, we had the prep time mm -hmm. to where we knew this is how much time we have to save this amount of money, and we had it all figured out. I say we, he had it all figured <laughs> out. Um, and so that was, so I got, I did six months Oh, it's amazing. Um, it was brilliant. Yeah. Um, I worked every now and again in, oh, I say six months, um, before I went back kind of like full-time-ish, you know? Um, I worked here and there before then just for my sanity, mm -hmm. I, you know, and to not be gone for an entire six right. months. So Kyle's mom would come watch Sterling, and I would go to work on Saturdays or an occasional Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that. But... Um, it was a long time before I was back into full work mode, if you will. And I, just that initial postpartum period where I did struggle so much, um, if I had been expected to go to work and perform, it could have gotten really bad really quickly. Mm -hmm. And it did open my eyes to why moms do struggle so much um, in that period and why they make terrible choices you know um, for themselves uh, and their kids sometimes in that time period because you are not in your right mind I mean I wasn't right. I'm sure some moms are yeah I mean, if I sure stayed home for six months I would have been crazy staying yeah. at home for six I could not have done six months yeah. at all well I mean it was but everybody's yeah. in a different place yeah but I mean just the initial like yeah no I know weeks, like right. I, I literally was not in my right mind <laughs> for um and I think that the expectation that anyone after the um physical and physiological changes that occur during pregnancy um hormones body stuff 
um, that you literally have no control over. I mean, no one asked me if I was going to be a woman, you know, <laughs> I'm glad I am. I'm glad I am. But at the same time, like, it's not, it's not my fault that my body has to have this time to readjust. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's unfair to expect people to, um, to deal with that and expect them to be completely on point at work. And not to completely change the subject, but, because we're not, <laughs> but this is where I think telemedicine can come in big. Oh, huge. Um, in, help, in technology in general and helping women who in, are in that postpartum period stay connected to their clinics, um, but maybe on a less intense level. And I mean, I would have loved to have been at home and either taking calls or answering emails that were just, should I come in or what should I do? And, um, and not feel the enormous pressure that you do feel when you're in a clinic taking care of everybody's important pets. So it, it was not a good time for me. I'm real. I'm so thankful. I did not have to go back to work. I have extreme empathy for everyone that does, and I just would encourage those people who feel like they're not ready to go back to work to really figure out how you um, can talk to somebody and either get ready mm-hmm. or work with your um, employer to, to try and figure an alternative schedule out yeah. to ease you back in. That's yeah. rough. Some people have to go back to work. They yeah, student ones they to do. Pay and- yeah. And I, I just they may I, be the main breadwinner for the th- family. Exactly. So, um, so let's talk about um, what does it mean to be both a mother and a veterinarian. Um, you mean to be awesome and then more awesome? Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Go from rock star to superstar. <laughs> so glamorous. It's glamorous to walk around with baby spit up on one shoulder and anal gland juice on the other. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Amazing. So I think it makes me utilize my time better. I'm much more efficient. Um, I do set boundaries. I'm a boundary setter. Like this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing now, and that that part can't cross into this part. Um, And definitely. you know, we talk about women being better multitaskers than than men. Uh, it may even be that mothers are better multitaskers than everyone else because you just have to find a way to be efficient and get it all done. You also have to know what you can let go. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are some things you just don't have to worry about. Maybe you can delegate them. Maybe they're just really not that important and don't need to be on your to-do list in the first place. Uh, so I think it does help you to prioritize when you're a mom and a veterinarian as to what you really need to do, remembering to do some of what you want to do, mm-hmm. and, um, and then not worrying about everything else. So we had a conversation, and this gets into a little bit of uh, demographic changes or uh, demographic differences or whatever you guys want to call it. But, um, you know, everyone, not everyone, lots of people um, say the current uh, field of veterinarians doesn't want to work. They have a, a poor work ethic. Um, you know, you guys want your personal time. You don't want to be at the office. And I, I, what I say to that is, to Lori's point, when I'm here at the office, you got it all. I am a hundred percent here. 
when I am at home, I'm 100% at home. When I'm at church, I'm 100% at church. Like, if you saw the list of things that most younger veterinarians or any veterinarian, mm -hmm. female, male, does on a day-to-day -day basis, you would not challenge their work ethic, mm -hmm. you know? Because mm -hmm. um, the mom, or the better, you know, anyone really, that the mom, we're talking about moms, so the mom that gets to work at 7.30 on time has been up doing all those mm -hmm. things. And so I, I have a I have a hard time with that with that concept mm -hmm. of um, because you're a mom you're less committed. Well, no, mm -hmm. I'm actually a hundred percent committed to a lot of different things, and it's it's a it's a shift in how you're gonna for both both camps. But I think employers need to change that language because it's not about right it's not about work ethic it's it's an expectation difference mm. and we're seeing the younger guys that are coming through the profession now they want time off it, whether it's family or, or whatever so it's becoming less of a female issue mm -hmm. and more of a recognition that there's a whole lot more out there in the world to enjoy doing and want to spend time doing than being in the office all day and so I think that's really important and I think our younger generation overall recognizes that and as Nancy says you are 100% committed wherever you are but there's lots of things that we can be committed to mm -hmm. and sometimes that may be committed to our actual job sometimes that's being committed to organized veterinary medicine which is why we're both here today uh, and then into our families and other things that we may choose to do to improve our communities or what have you. That was doctors Lori Teller and Nancy Turner discussing infertility, pregnancy, adoption, postpartum depression, and maternity leave. I truly appreciate them sharing so much. If you relate to some of doctors Turner and Teller's experiences, I hope this conversation made you feel less alone. Even if these topics haven't affected you personally, perhaps you have a friend, family member, or colleague who has been personally impacted. And now you may understand their experience a little bit more. Thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. If you're enjoying this podcast and have a minute to spare, go ahead and write a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading reviews and we can't thank you enough. And thank you again for listening. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA.